นโมทัสสะกุวะตัวอรหัตตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกุวะตัวอรหัตตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกุวะตัวอรหัตตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามะสังฆ This being the first Sunday of the month, it's the occasion where we consider together the extract from Ajahn Chah's teachings that are presented on the page of our Forest Sangha calendar for this month, the month of July, and it's very fitting for this occasion. Of uh, witnessing Justin's commitment to take up the training towards awakening, uh, the text there, Ajahn Chah is is speaking directly to our aspirations for awakening, and the teachings that are presented there. Ajahn Chah is saying that uh, if we realize awakening in this life, that's fine. If we have to wait until our next life, that's also all right. What matters most is having an unfaltering conviction in Dhamma. Hmm. And what matters most is having an unfaltering conviction in Dhamma. So, helpfully as usual, Ajahn Chah is. Emphasizing the here and now application of effort in practice. Now, yes, there's the vision of the possibility of awakening, which all of us have had the good fortune to hear about. There is this possibility for human beings. The Buddha. Symbolizes this for us, and the concept of the possibility is a strong motivating force, energizes us. But the reality is, we're living here now. We're living with this. This is our experience. This moment. This place. And this is what Ajahn Chah and all the great teachers. Are always pointing to, always encouraging us to come back to. We use the concept, we use the idea, we use the ideal, we use the vision uh, that the Buddha pointed towards, encouraged us to consider uh, as an approximation. It gives us the inspiration to make a certain kind of effort, and and that's what. Ajahn Chah is saying here: This is what matters most: is the unfaltering conviction in Dhamma. So another way of saying that is that we have a resolute conviction that the realization of wisdom and compassion is truly possible. What the, the Buddha realized was the wisdom that sees accurately, sees clearly, sees the way things are, is not fooled by anything. Is not fooled by the way things appear to be, 
but sees through the way things appear to be to actuality. And the expression of that, a natural, warm-hearted expression of that, is what we refer to as compassion. And so the, the unshakable wisdom of the Buddha, the limitless compassion of the Buddha and all the realized beings, as far as we're concerned, is a realistic possibility. And so again, Ajahn Chah is emphasizing with that possibility, we then bring our attention to what matters most, which is the kind of effort we're making here and now. And the kind of effort we're making here and now, as he has uh, spoken about in many ways, on many occasions, is, is the commitment to the practice of non-attachment, the practice of letting go. And, and we all benefit from these reminders we all need these reminders because, uh, as we'd all be familiar with, it's really easy to get attached. You know, from the time we're born and we're children, we attach to mum and dad. We get around holding on to mum and dad's hand and uh, before we learn to walk. And then we learn to walk and then we hold on to our toys and, and then we hold on to uh, our friends and... Unless we have the very good fortune at some stage in life, many of us just go through life holding on to all the things that we like and trying to get rid of all the things we don't like. Clinging to liking and disliking, as the Buddha discovered and pointed out, is actually the cause of suffering. It doesn't lead to awakening. What leads to awakening is... Recognizing the kind of effort that's needed to see through this con, to see through the way the world of the senses appears to be. The things we like, it appears like we hold on to them, we're going to get happier. And the things we dislike, if we can just get rid of them, we're going to be happier. And that's the story of the world, but the Buddha tried that for 29 years and I think Justin's tried it for about 28 years and and fed up with it. It's it's got its place, you know, we've got to experiment. But hopefully sooner or later, and all of us, we've reached the point of recognising that this is a very (coughs) limited way of being. It's getting lost in our liking and disliking. And so... Although it's tempting, although we still feel liking is attractive and disliking is unattractive, we heed the teachings of the Buddha and make an effort to cultivate to see beyond liking and disliking. Whatever it takes to learn to let go, whatever it takes to cultivate this path of non-attachment. Faltering in our efforts... Uh, Ajahn Chah is talking about unfaltering uh, conviction Uh, faltering is where we cling and we do it over and over again what matters is how long does it take before we see what we're doing so all the skillful means that the Buddha and the great teachers have offered us are reminders so that we remember quicker How do we let go? How do we remember quicker? 
There's a very beautiful image in one of the verses that the Buddha gave in the Dhammapada, verse number 91, where he talks about uh, alert to the needs of the journey, those on the path of awareness, like swans, glide on, leaving behind their former resting places. Alert to the needs of the journey, those on the path of awareness, like swans, glide on, leaving behind their former resting places. Very beautiful image. They can serve to encourage us to not settle on any resting place until we've finished our work. We, We hear the possibility, we hear of the possibility from the Buddha and the the realized beings that we can cultivate this path of letting go and to the degree that we let go we realize increased well-being those of you that have stayed in Kusla House will see that quote from Ajahn Chah on the the wall down there if you let go a little you have a little peace if you let go a lot you have a lot of peace if you let, let go completely you have complete peace it's very simple, but it's really worth taking to heart and taking to mind and learning how to encourage ourselves to not settle for even relative comfort, even relative happiness, even relative well-being. All of us who've been practicing for a while realize that from the very beginning, just picking up the Buddha's teachings and feeling faith quickened within us gives us a certain increased well-being. But what we're not supposed to do is then just suddenly become believers in the Buddha and settle for having the best belief system that's around. That's that's not the goal. It serves a function, but that's also to be let go of. Our initial level of belief and taking it deeper, our initial level of faith, our initial level of security are all to be let go of, uh, to become more and more familiar with the practice of letting go rather than orienting ourselves towards feeling secure by hanging on. We hold, but then we let go, like the image of the swans uh, uh, leaving behind their former resting places. As we encounter the this experience of limitation, the experience of frustration, what we call suffering, we bring the right kind of sensitivity, the right kind of investigation, the right kind of sense restraint, and hopefully sooner or later we see where and when it is we're doing this clinging, this uh, imposition that we impose on awareness that creates the feeling of suffering. We see that we're doing it. Letting go happens, and then we open up to a larger reality. And then we've got a new resting place, which feels good for a while, but the Buddha is encouraging us, don't get stuck there, don't get stuck anywhere. Using the image of the swans leaving behind their former resting places, glide on, it's a very helpful Reminder. And we need these reminders because we keep forgetting. We 
get fooled over and over again by the way things appear to be, the surface level, like uh, the relative level of increased well-being, the the relative level of increased contentment. Uh, On the material level, comfort is very attractive, but if we look beyond the way things appear to be, we see that as soon as we start attaching to it, we spoil it. States of mind, as soon as we start attaching to them, we spoil them. Uh, we do a little meditation, experience a little peace. Uh, if we're not careful, attachment creeps in, we cling to it, and we spoil it. Uh, that's the way the world is. That's the way of liking and disliking. Uh, what the Buddha realized was the possibility of not being fooled uh, by anything. Uh, and we do in the chanting, when we talk about the Buddha, one of the names of the Buddha is Loka Vidu, and translates as knower of the world. And it doesn't mean to say the Buddha knew a lot about the world, that he, he knew where Afghanistan was or where Ukraine was or all the states of America. It didn't mean the Buddha knew about the world. It means the Buddha knew the actuality. It means the Buddha wasn't fooled by the way the world appears to be. Before the Buddha was the Buddha, up until the age of 29, he was lost in the way things appear to be, following his likes and dislikes. Something felt good, he'd get lost in feeling good, like us. Feel bad and we get lost in feeling bad. Feel angry and we believe, I am angry, and then our actions of body and speech reflect that unfortunately feel sad we believe I am sad that's the way it appears to be what the awakened beings realise is that's the way it appears to be sadness is passing through the mind gladness is passing through the mind but they don't cling and so they don't suffer we suffer because we cling. And we cling on all sorts of levels, even in terms of our training, even on the spiritual journey. We have the good fortune to come across great teachers and great teachings. And usually in the beginning, we love our teachers and we love our tradition. And then after a while, we loathe them. We loathe our teachers. I can remember when I first arrived at Wat Banana Chart and about 1974, I was so glad to be there. I was so happy to arrive at this wonderful, inspiring monastery. And all we had was a, a few grass huts and maybe a few that had a bit of corrugated iron on them. And the main meeting hall was just a grass hut with a dirt floor. And, and there was the radiant, inspiring, smiling Ajahn Sumato and, and all these other impressive monks sitting there. And I was so glad to be there. I also remember, (laughs) vividly remember, one day in particular I remember going on arms round, going through Satani Rotfai, which is the the, uh, railway station, one of the villages we used to walk to on arms round. And as we were walking across the railway lines, I can remember standing there feeling the railway lines and thinking, these railway lines go all the way to Bangkok and I could be out of this godforsaken hellhole. 
<laughs> I believed. Seriously. But thankfully, not completely. Otherwise, I probably would have left. We all believe in our moods. We all believe in the way things appear to be. And as a result, even though we might start out on this journey with aspirations to unshakable realization of wisdom and limitless compassion, maybe we start out with that, but then we fall short of it regularly. And so, gratefully, fortunately, we have these teachings that remind us over and over again to move on, keep moving on, leaving behind our former resting places. Some of you are probably familiar with the, uh, one of the well-known discourses of the Buddha known as the Great Discourse on the Simile of the Heartwood. And in the, it's called the Mahasaropama Sutta. And in this discourse, the, the Buddha is talking about just this issue and how somebody sets out on the spiritual journey and he uh, relates it to how somebody goes looking for the heartwood, uh, the most precious uh, portion of the tree, uh, uh, the essence, the core, the most valuable part of the tree. Somebody's looking for heartwood and he likens it to somebody looking for liberation, somebody feeling limited, feeling frustrated, feeling that they want to get out of this mess of suffering. And so they hear the teachings and they go in search of liberation and but as they embark on this journey and they um, uh, start with an initial level of commitment, what they discover is an initial level of well-being that's associated with just an elevated sense of status in community. Yeah. They get a little respect because of their commitment to the cultivation of, of the spiritual life. And this elevated level of uh, status... And, the community, the Buddha likens it to this this person going out looking for the heartwood, but just going off uh, with a bunch of twigs, yeah. looking for heartwood, but gets satisfied with a bunch of twigs and branches. And, uh, that's clearly not it. Uh, so the Buddha is saying, don't do that. Don't fall short. Don't settle for you know, just an elevated sense of status or uh, initial increase in well-being. Also, even in the level of, he talks about increased uh, sense of integrity or the cultivation of precepts. Uh, we can cultivate our precepts and experience an increased level of well-being and settle for that. And by comparison to where we're coming from, it, it may be a significant uh, upgrade. Uh, but the Buddha says, don't settle for that. He said, it's like somebody going set out looking for heartwood, but... They just settle for the outer bark. And then he goes on with this simile and talking about the inner bark, which he likens to somebody who uh, succeeds in realizing some degree of samadhi, some uh, increased sense of concentration and increased ability in that area. So that's the inner bark. And they don't settle for that either. And probably all of us have, have heard of people who, who do that. They, they, exercise a little willful concentration of attention and the mind drops into a different dimension and all sorts of magical, amazing, wonderful, blissful, 
far out things can start happening. And if, uh, if we haven't experienced those things ourselves, we, we possibly have allowed ourselves to become fascinated by these things. Certainly, you move around monasteries, and as Justin moves around monasteries over the years, he'll bound to come across people who are intoxicated with stories of the magic of samadhi. And this monk, he can read minds, and, and that monk, you know, when he walks, he doesn't quite touch the ground. There's a, you can see a little light beneath his feet, and, and that one, she appears in several places at the same time and <laughs> talk about the, uh, the magic of samadhi. And the Buddha's warning is don't settle for that. That's still... That's still not the heartwood. That's still not the point. Um, uh, once again, cautioning us. Uh, it can be an elevated sense of well-being, and yes, by comparison, feel much better to better than where we were at before. But let's be careful not to settle there. Mm. Encouragement is to move on, keep moving on, get used to moving on <clears throat> even initial level of insight the Buddha continues this simile uh, talking about uh, realization of knowledge and vision uh, which he compares to reaching the sapwood we're getting closer you know, it's, it's not the twigs you know. it's not the outer bark, it's not the inner bark it's, uh, it's what he refers to as the sapwood but it's still not the heartwood Again, probably most of us have probably come across teachers who are perhaps overly confident because they've had some initial level of insight and possibly become overly keen on sharing their insights and selling books and producing videos and uploading to YouTube and so on. But when you listen to it, maybe it doesn't quite sound like the real thing. Well, the Buddha is cautioning us. Keep letting go. One of Ajahn Chah's teachings that I am, one of the many teachings that I am tremendously grateful for, he pointed out once saying that there's nothing to be afraid of in this practice so long as you don't get lost in desire yeah. it's because we don't really understand desire we don't really stop and study the actuality of desire yeah. we have ideas about desire we've read about how desire is a cause of suffering that's a very initial level of understanding but Buddha wanted us to stop and really inquire into the reality of desire what does desire feel like can we be present at the moment when desire arises in the mind and recognize that we're not obliged to become that movement of mind that we call desire? That's not an obligation. That's a choice and, and not, not necessarily a wise choice. Yeah. Well, if we're becoming the desire, it's definitely not a wise choice. Yeah. So then we suffer the consequences. So. If we don't really heed these teachings on commitment to the path of non-attachment if we allow ourselves to fall short we we get fooled by the way things appear to be 
even even refined desires for sharing Dhamma. can be very intoxicating. Sharing our wisdom with other people can be very intoxicating. But if our commitment is to the practice of non-attachment, to over and over again not settling anywhere, to a commitment to letting go, then we're in a better position to not be fooled by the way things appear to be. The teachings... Even the most sophisticated teachings are all approximations. They're they're like maps that we study. But we're not supposed to cling even to the teachings. We're not supposed to cling even to the traditions. We're not supposed to cling even to the techniques. The teachings, the traditions and the techniques are all there pointing in a certain direction. So yes, we, we use them like the concept of awakening. We use it, but what matters most is the effort we're making here and now to be really present, really sensitive, really alert in the body and mind to what are we doing that means we impose limitations on awareness and create here and now suffering. The teachings, the teachers, the traditions, the techniques can all be so inspiring that we fixate on them. These are the forms, these are the pointings. But it's like going walking in the mountains and looking at the map the whole time. That wouldn't be very clever. Ajanabhinando, this is Ajanabhinando's last night here before he leaves to go to Switzerland. And and after 15 years living at Harnham, the gentle rolling hills of Northumberland, all very safe and harmless, he... He's going off to the wild reaches of Europe, and the dangers of the Swiss Alps. And so he's going to be tempted, of course, to be climbing those Alps and, and taking adventures across the mountains. And if he's sensible, he'll have a map. But if he's not sensible, he'll fixate on the map. You can imagine, that map might be very, very good. It might be really really clever and reading maps, and maybe the very best maps, and being Switzerland it probably is the very best maps. But if you focus on the map, <laughs> what about slipping on the ice? You know, the map doesn't tell you, oh, that ice is slippery. Yeah, you can end up falling off a cliff. The cliff might be on the map, but it doesn't tell you about the ice. The ice is here now. The ice is in front of us. The ice is beneath our feet. We've got to let go of looking at the map. Well, we can slip on the ice or get attacked by a herd of chamois or whatever. Well, I don't know if there are such things as herds of chamois that attack people walking in the Swiss Alps, but whatever. I just never know. He's got to be very careful when he's walking in the Swiss Alps to not fixate on the map. We use a map. It's really helpful to have maps. Like the Buddha's teachings, like the Buddha's discourses, but we don't attach to them, hopefully. Or if we do attach and then we find ourselves suffering, what matters most is how long does it take us before we remember this suffering is not something that somebody else is doing to me. It's not the world's fault. It's not somebody else's fault. This is something that I'm doing here and now. So coming back 
to this moment, not clinging to our ideas of awakening, you know, not clinging to sharing our wisdom or whatever altruistic fantasies we might have. But coming back to this experience, this moment, in the body, in the mind. Mm-hmm. So this discourse the Buddha gave on the heartwood, uh, not settling for the twigs, not settling for the outer bark, the inner bark or the sapwood, but uh, Buddha then goes on eventually to talk about uh, uh, realisation, unshakable realisation, mm-hmm. irreversible realisation. That's the point. That's the effort we need to make is to keep going, to keep moving on. So in service of that aspiration, we have the good fortune to be reminded over and again the kind of exercises we need to engage, the kind of effort we can usefully make, how to listen to our teachers, my first teacher, Ajahn Tate, he was very subtle in his perceptions. And it actually took somebody more subtle and more sophisticated, Ajahn Mun, to point out to him and say, you've still got work to do. He was settled and comfortable to a certain level of refined uh, understanding. And Ajahn, Ajahn Mun pointed out that's not the place to settle. Uh, Keep letting go, keep inquiring, keep making the effort. And the kind of effort is something that we need to learn to refine, like with anything else, like with any other skill. We can be rather clumsy in the beginning, but as the months go by, the years go by, and the decades go by, we learn to refine down the kind of effort, the effort to be honest, increasingly honest with where we're getting stuck. Where are we hanging on to something that's a false level of security? And we can't know when awareness is going to show us our attachments. So the kind of effort we're making needs to be consistent effort. It's tempting in the beginning to get overly enthusiastic to go too far, too fast, to try too hard, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Like learning to ride a bike, you know, once you get the hang of it, uh, once your brother or sister has let go of holding on to the, the back of the bike and you can do it on your own, and temptation is to go too fast. Sooner or later, we probably try that, go too fast, fall off, and then we realize, actually there's a, a safe speed at which to travel so that we don't fall off, we don't hurt ourselves. So, well, it's sensible to listen to our teachers and be cautious about, you know, don't, don't take too many risks. Be a little daring, yes, but don't take too many risks. You, it is possible to really hurt yourself to the point of being damaged on this journey. If Ajahn Abhinanda fixates on the map too much, he, he could end up slipping on the ice and breaking his leg up there on the... Swiss Alps, of course, we hope that doesn't happen. Fixating on the forms, fixating on the the way things appear to be, gets us into trouble. A commitment to letting go, uh, making a gradual kind of effort, 
even sometimes restraining our excessive enthusiasm. I often encourage people who are starting out in meditation, you know, 20 minutes a day, six days a week is enough. Sometimes we get overly zealous. and I've mentioned before that uh, occasion when I was uh, living in Thailand and I was translating for a newly arrived young Western monk, or maybe he was a, a novice at the time. He's one of our senior monks now living in Thailand, but in those days he couldn't speak Thai, and so I was translating for him. He was wanting to discuss with Ajahn Chah the uh, ascetic practices that he was going to take on. He wanted to do this practice and that practice. He wanted to do you know, the one bowl eaters practice, only taking food on arms round, not food given in the monastery, and, and the and the three robe wearers practice and the sitters practice and whatever other ascetic practices he had in mind. And he was having me explain this to Ajahn Chah and Ajahn Chah was listening. And when I'd finished explaining it, Ajahn Chah looked at him and he said, you know, you should determine, you should aditan, you should make a determination for where you're at. He said, the best thing to determine is just keep practicing whatever happens. Don't be in too much of a hurry to do special practices. Behind our wanting to do special practices is usually we're wanting special results. Perhaps you've heard some of these stories about the magic of samadhi and we'd like some of that. Well, it might be better if we don't do any special practices and we don't have any special experiences and we survive that. Uh, might be more helpful in the long run. Uh, learning to have a consistent level of effort, learning to have, a, as I was saying, an increased level of honesty. Where are we getting stuck? What are we hanging on to? Being prepared for awareness to put in front of us a perception that we don't want to know about. Yeah. Maybe we've been practicing for many years and then some humiliating perception pops up and, and we want to just turn away from it. We don't want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. It took me, personally, it took me 40 years before I realized about my addiction to sugar. Yeah. I'm a total sugar addict. I've probably always been one. It took me 40 years of, of being a monk before I was able to begin to get a handle on it. Well, that's embarrassing, yeah. Well, thankfully now I, I can view sugar as a kind of a low-grade heroin and stay well away from it. You know, I, I, I really seriously regret uh, my addiction to sugar, you know, all the uh, horrendous mood swings that I had to tolerate over these years. Yeah. Well, it was hiding something. It was covering something. It wasn't that I didn't try. I, I tried for years to give up sugar well, I could just have honey. <laughs> I won't have white sugar. <laughs> yeah. Try for a while and go back again, back on the drugs again. Yeah. Or emotional addictions. Yeah, that can also be very tricky. Yeah. Not just attachment to elevated sense of recognition or, or status in community or, or for those who can access refined mind states. Yeah, those... Attachments you know, sometimes might 
be easier to deal with. You know, it can also be attachment to, to emotional conditions, our, our problems. We very easily get stuck on our problems. Believe it or not, our problems are some of the really difficult things to let go of. We get so identified with our problems. We don't want to let go of them. We find a sense of self-definition in all the things that are wrong with us. So this commitment to the unfaltering conviction in Dhamma that Ajahn Chah was pointing to, or the uh, commitment to leaving our former resting places behind as that Dhammapada verse alludes to, inclining us, inclining our attention, inclining our effort in the direction of agility. When we come from a place of feeling really insecure, unsure, seriously confused, which is probably most of us in the beginning, it's very tempting to settle for relative level of clarity and confidence and well-being. But if we study our teachers and look at the wise beings that we have access to, one of the characteristics that they demonstrate is their agility. They don't get stuck. They can change according to time and place. We might like them for a while. We might be really impressed with them for a while. But when we start to loathe them and dislike them, uh, let's be careful to not get stuck there. Yeah. Uh, the real fruit of practice, the real fruit of letting go, is arriving at a state of realistic appreciation, appreciation for that which is right in front of us. And thank you very much this evening for your attention. Tantamayang namawa dakatasa dukarang dhamma sehe. Sadhu.